most opportunities for success for yourself. And success, when you think about it, it's, it's only success when you're more successful than those around you. Think about the HSC for a second. Uh, UAI for me, but ATAR for probably most people in this room. Um, when you get an ATAR of 80, that doesn't mean, congratulations, you got an average of 80% in all your exams. No, no, no. It means you're better than 79% of other Year 12 students in New South Wales. That's what that means. It's graded against other people. But at the same time, while this message is happening, collectively, our society says, strength is bad. And if we acknowledge strength, it divides our society into weak and strong. And the strong, the man, he's hard at work, pressing down the other people, elevating himself over everyone else and oppressing the weak. And so you put these two messages together and I'm confused. And our world is confused about these things. But the question comes, what do we do about that division, that weak and strong divide in society? And the world's answer is, the weak need to pull down the strong, pull them down. That's where we've been running as a society for heaps of years, so many years. It's why patriarchy is a dirty word today. It's why masculinity is a dirty word today. Because each of those words have been twisted to mean a certain kind of strength. A strength which is said to dominate the weak. And redefining those terms, twisting them, is our world's way of pulling down the strong. So that there's a level playing field. Now, the Bible acknowledges a similar kind of struggle between weak and strong and a division. But listen to what God says in this passage. Have a look. Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. How different is that? God's word on strength and division is so countercultural for us to hear <laughs> because he says, no, 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 no. The weak shouldn't pull down the strong. That's not their responsibility. Instead, the strong should love the weak, support the weak. In fact, God has given strength that people might use it to support the weak. So tonight, from these passages, these chapters, we're going to hear God's word on strength and division. And his word is so completely upside down from our worlds, but it is so much better. It is so much more beautiful. It is so much more wonderful, grounded in love and service of others. So let's pray before we dive in. Father, this part of the Bible is challenging. It's challenging to fully grasp. It's challenging to know how to apply it to ourselves today. Please, by your spirit, Speak to us through your word, and please, by your spirit, convict us, transform our hearts and our minds, that we might become more like your son, Jesus. And we ask these things in his name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, as we dive into Romans 14, 15, we dive into the middle of a complex situation in the church at Rome. The church at Rome is divided into two, and they're fighting each other the two groups. And it's important for us to understand who these two groups of people are 
to understand what they're fighting about. Uh, The first group are very likely uh, a certain kind of Jew, a a Jewish Christian, Um, and someone who's Jewish by birth, and they're converted to Christianity, but they still behave culturally like a Jew. And Paul identifies this group as weak. The second group are Christians who don't behave culturally like a Jew, and so they're probably most likely Gentiles, which is the word for people who aren't Jewish, and so they're naturally not going to behave culturally like a Jew. But it also includes certain kinds of Jews, like Paul himself, who was a Jew, is a Jew, converts to Christianity, and doesn't behave culturally like a Jew. And Paul identifies this group as strong. Paul says there are weak and strong in the church. And Paul's not being racist here, because after all, he is a Jew. And he's not talking about physical strength either, but actually strength of faith. Take a look at chapter 14, verse 1. Except the one whose faith is weak. What does that mean? Weak faith. It's a really important question to ask, really important thing to understand, because if we don't, we'll twist and distort everything that Paul says. It will, will, will go away way wrong. And so the first way we might understand it is that the weak and strong refers to the quantity or the quality of their faith. And so the weak have less faith or maybe less pure faith, and the strong have more faith or more pure faith, that kind of understanding. Now, that's not the case. Have a look at verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. God honours the sufficiency of both groups' faith, and he is able to make them stand in the context of judgment. In other words, their faith is saving faith, something we're very familiar with if we've read the letter of Romans up to this point. And so the right way to understand Paul's use of weak and strong faith here is actually a measure of the vulnerability of that faith. The weak have vulnerable faith and the strong have robust faith or less vulnerable faith. And the vulnerability or robustness of their faith has to do with how Christian freedoms interact with cultural practices and traditions. And so to understand this, we're going to have to look at what they're fighting about. So let's take a look. They're fighting over three things. Got a slide to help us with some nice little graphics. The first issue is whether or not Christians are allowed to eat certain things. Have a look at chapter 14, verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. Now, vegetarians, hang in there. He's not saying what you think he's saying. Clarity will come. Stick there. The second issue is a little less clear, uh, but it seems from verse 21 that they're also fighting about whether Christians can drink alcohol. And the third issue, whether or not a certain day of the week is sacred. Verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. The strong, it seems, one day is just as special as the next. And the weak consider this one day to be sacred over the rest. 
And in each of these things, the two groups are fighting over who is expressing their Christian faith rightly. And so this last slide, um, the weak person judges the other as a bit loose. You're off the rails, right? And the strong person judges and looks down on the strict Christian. Now, in all of this, it's, impo- it's important for us to realise that Paul calls these issues that they're fighting about disputable. See it there in chapter 14, verse 1, yet again. Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. And what he means by disputable isn't as simple as there's no right or wrong answer. I reckon that's where our heads go straight away. Disputable, meh, neither here nor there, whatever, agree, disagree. It's not that simple because there are right and wrong answers on this, right and wrong opinions on this. It's actually why Paul uses the categories weak and strong to begin with. The weak have it wrong, the strong have it right. Take the meat eating, for example. In Judaism, there's certain kinds of meats uh, that are unclean that you shouldn't eat. Pork is an example of that. But look at what Paul teaches in verse 14 of chapter 14. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. And halfway through verse 20, he says, all food is clean. So if there is right and wrong on these matters, why does Paul still call them disputable? Why doesn't he care about resolving the matter? And interestingly, we don't go on to read all of Paul's argument as to why this is right and that's wrong. He doesn't do it. Why not? Because he cares about something way more. He cares about something else more. And that other thing is keeping God's people together in harmony in his kingdom. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 is the key verse. Highlight it, underline it. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul says these things, these disputable matters, they're not worth fighting over and dividing God's people over. They're not worth it. Disputable. And that's why Paul speaks words of peace into their fighting instead of correction. Verse 3, have a look. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. Why? For, because, God has accepted them. God has accepted all of these people in the church of Rome into his kingdom on the basis of the faith that they have, whether they're right or wrong on these issues. And God's people ought to do the same. Chapter 15, verse 7, Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. See how Paul goes after peace as the kingdom priority. Peace. And it's worth reflecting on. Do I do the same? Do I have the same heart as Paul, the same concern? Do I value peace among God's people more than being right? When I argue, am I aiming for peace or am I aiming to be proven right? Are there opinions that I hold and am very vocal about which actually aren't important enough to cause offence and divide over? 
And once we start asking questions like this and thinking about ourselves, it becomes very important that we consider these disputable matters first. What are matters that matter? And what are matters that don't matter enough to divide over? Now, from this passage, Paul says the matters that don't matter, the reason they don't matter is because they don't make or break whether someone's in or out of God's kingdom. Which means we mustn't apply this passage and what Paul says here to issues which do make or break whether you're in or out of God's kingdom. It would be very wrong for us to apply this passage and the principles here that we've already looked at like this. I reckon it's okay to sleep with my girlfriend before marriage. Or I reckon it's okay for Christians to get hammered, to get drunk on the weekend. And you know what? Paul says here, don't judge me. Accept me. Come on. Our response should be no. No, that is not okay. Because those are not disputable matters. Those are matters of the kingdom, whether or not you are in or out of God's kingdom. Galatians 5, 19 to 21, write it down, chase it up later. It lists a bunch of sinful activities uh, which exclude people from the kingdom of God. And here's some of them. Sexual immorality, impurity, drunkenness. And it finishes by saying this. Paul, the same writer, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so if you call yourself a Christian here tonight and you want to live for God in this, in his kingdom, Paul's word, stop sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Repent of that sin. Ask God for forgiveness. Sexual immorality is not a disputable matter. It's a matter of whether you are in or out of God's kingdom. And stop getting drunk on the weekends. Please repent of your sin. Ask God for forgiveness. Practice self-control and enjoy alcohol in an honourable way to God. Drunkenness is not a disputable matter. It is a matter of whether you are in or out of God's kingdom. We must be very careful not to apply this passage and the principles here to justify simple behaviour because those who continue in unrepentant sin will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's huge. But let's come back to Rome and the idea of the weak and strong faith. Remember, the right way to understand weak and strong faith, as Paul uses it, is the vulnerability of their faith. And the vulnerability of a person's faith, this is hard, listen in, The vulnerability of a person's faith is their inability to express their faith in all sorts of circumstances. In other words, a person has vulnerable faith because they rely on certain cultural practices, traditions, to express their faith in God fully. To put it the other way, the robustness or strength of a person's faith is their ability to express their faith in all sorts of circumstances and to not rely on certain cultural practices and traditions 
to express their faith in God fully. Now, that is hard to understand, but it's very important. So let me illustrate it. Uh, Has anyone got a phone? Does anyone rock a phone without a case? Naked phone. Well, good, sir. Hats off to you. Good on you. Must be nice. Am I right? Um, Back in the day, I had an iPhone 4. uh, And not only that, I had an iPhone 4 with a life-proof case on it which means it's waterproof, smash-proof. Someone, someone gave me the case with the phone, right? Uh, so I want you to imagine this. Uh, two people with two phones. I'm not clever enough to take away the backgrounds on, on photos. I'm sorry. <laughs> it would have been nice, but I didn't have time. Uh, two people with two phones, one with a life-proof case and one without. And each of them, the phone works fine. does exactly what it needs to do. It's great. Um, But the phone without the case is vulnerable to destruction. And the phone with the case is less vulnerable to destruction. I can take my phone anywhere. It's life-proof. That's the whole point of the name. I can go for a swim with my phone in my pocket, take it out, text, make a call, take a photo, happy snaps. I can go out when it's pouring rain and do the same thing. But the person without the life-proof case can't do that. They can't go outside if it's raining too much. They can't take it for a run if they're going to sweat too much. Um, They can't just jump into the water at any moment. They've got to be really careful. Check the pockets. uh, Leave it on the beach, right? Their phone is vulnerable and it limits their behaviour. It limits the places they can take their phone and use it. That's what's going on here with faith. Track with me, all right? So let's first look at how that works for weak faith. Weak faith. The person with weak faith still has saving faith. It's working just fine. God has accepted them. They trust in God. They honour him in all things. But they're rocking their faith without a case on it. And if they never run into, into any issues, cool. No issues. But if they come across a stumbling block, they run the very real risk of tripping, falling, and destroying their faith. Terrifying. And because they need a no meat eating, no alcohol drinking, Saturday only kind of environment to express their faith, they struggle to be in a context that eats that food or drinks that drink or church on that day instead of that day. Their faith becomes particularly vulnerable when they can't find a church and a a setting where they can just freely express their faith because they expose themselves to sinning in two ways. First, by judging those who act differently. And that's what's happening in Rome. It's causing divisions. Because the weak, with their convictions about food and drink and sacred days... They look at the strong in their behaviour and they judge them. And so Paul says to them, don't judge others. Just focus on honouring God yourself. That's the word to them. Verse 4, track it through with me. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers them all alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. 
Each person does what they do from the faith that they have to honour God. So don't judge them. Leave that judgment to God. Instead, focus on your own convictions. Honour God and give thanks to him the way that you think you should. And don't judge others by the standards that you've set for yourself. Chapter 14, verse 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Very helpful wisdom from Paul here. Very helpful wisdom. Don't judge others by the standards that you create for yourself. So young men, my brothers, uh, we love to judge others by our standards. We are always right in our own eyes. It's so much easier to see someone else's faults than my own. And we're always a millisecond away from passing silent judgment on people who don't meet our standards. For example, uh, I work really hard in my job to honour Christ. and I work this many hours. And they don't. They're lazy. I serve this much at church and they don't. I give this much financially to church and I've done the numbers if everyone did it we'd meet budget Paul's command don't judge others focus on yourself keep it between you and God have no reason to condemn yourself and ladies my sisters I'm less able to speak into the subtleties here but in the same way you may think I dress to this level of modesty and they don't I only post this kind of Instagram post, but they're clearly out of line. When I come to church, I only sit with my boyfriend every second week, and they do it every week, and it puts people off, right? And you pass silent judgment on everyone who doesn't hold themselves to the same standard you do. Or worse, you pass non-silent judgment on everyone else, and you gossip. Now, hopefully these examples are enough for us to search our own hearts and think of more. It's worth saying that um, in all of this, it doesn't mean that we can't interact lovingly with each other and our convictions. But make the goal, if I'm wrong, I want to know about it and I want to be strengthened by other people. And if I'm right and it matters, I don't want to force it on people, but I want to help people be strengthened if that's what they want. See how that's different from judgment? It's a righteous, peaceful and joyful way of disagreeing with God's people and his kingdom. If we tear people down with gossip and judgment, then we're no better than the corruption of our world, which says, back your own opinion and tear down everyone else. That mustn't be us. We are to live in peace in God's kingdom. The second way the weak run the risk of sinning is by joining in on some behaviour which goes against their conscience. So check out verse 14. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. Paul says the gospel means you're free to eat whatever you want. But if you're not one to that idea, then you're not free to eat whatever you want. Why? Because if you're not fully convinced, then in some way 
you regard meat as unclean in some way? And how can you possibly eat meat that you think is unclean and still give honour to God? You can't. And so verse 23, whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Can you see how the weak are particularly vulnerable in their faith? Their reliance on certain cultural practices uh, introduces extra rules around how they practice their faith. And these extra rules expose them to more opportunities to sin than if they didn't have those rules in the first place. And to say say it another way, even when something isn't a sin in and of itself, it's perfectly fine. If they think it's a sin, it is a sin. And they can really sin and really stumble and really fall out of God's kingdom. That is dangerous, yeah? Dangerous. And so how important is it that we are fully convinced of every action that we do. If there, if there are any doubts for us as Christians about whether Christians can drink alcohol, whether we can play the pokies as Christians, whether we can French kiss or get a tattoo or wear makeup as Christians, regardless of whether they are right or wrong, permissible or not, we are in danger of acting outside of faith, sinning, if we're not convinced. So be fully convinced. Know the gospel. Pray for clarity. Know your freedoms in Christ completely. Know what you're not free in Christ to do completely. And know that when you are judged by your conscience, you are judged by God as well. And... Don't create more stumbling blocks for yourself than you need to. It's good to honour God in all things. It's good to be careful that we don't sin. But just know that if the gospel doesn't demand something and you set a standard for yourself, you might be exposing yourself to more opportunities to sin because your conscience is wound up too tightly to things that don't really matter. Does that make sense? Now, before we move on, it's, it's worth... Before we move on from looking at the weak and and go to the strong, it's worth asking ourselves, am I strong or am I weak? Now, I figure no one reads this passage and thinks, ah, that's me, the weak one, classic. No, we we all think we're strong. And so reflect on ourselves. A better question to ask is, in what ways am I weak? In what ways could I be weak? What vulnerabilities could I be exposed to? What cultural baggage could I be carrying around with my faith that exposes me to risk? And here's the trick. That's a really hard question to ask. It's really hard to spot because you are your culture. You live in your culture. You surround people that are like you. It's only when you cross cultures that you're forced to see that cultural baggage. These Jewish Christians wouldn't have known unless they cross cultures into the Gentile context. And so here's some questions to ask yourself. What things do I need in order to express my faith in God freely? What does the music have to be like at church for me to engage with it? Does the church have to have this view of spiritual gifts? 
What kind of church practices can I just not stomach? I go to Sydney and prayer book services, yuck. I can't grow here, I can't do it, I'm out. I can't be at this church because there's no young people here. Our church experience here at EV Night is so intentionally geared towards our culture because in the gospel we're free to do so and because we want people to come in and feel comfortable. But here's the danger. We can conflate uh, comfort and the culture that we live in with gospel culture. At EV Night churches with lots of people, uh, young people, my own age, my friends having fun, awesome music, dinner after, trivia, all these good things. But if I were to move to a country town, go to a church of 15 people, all older, doing old school traditions, would my faith survive in that different context? Those are some questions worth asking ourselves. But now let's turn to the strong. The person with strong faith in this passage has saving faith. And they are the non-culturally Jewish behaving Christians. They've either grown up as Gentiles their whole life, not eating whatever they want, drinking whatever they want, uh, not thinking about sacred days. And so when they become Christians and hear that the kingdom's not about eating or drinking, they go, great, so I'm out. Um, There's no differences here. I live as I will. They've got a natural strength about the way they've grown up. Or, remember, they're Jewish people that have been convinced of the freedoms of the gospel convinced to the point that they can change their behaviour and drop those cultural expressions, like Paul. Now, this group as a whole is far less vulnerable, far more robust in their faith because they're flexible on these disputable matters, these issues. They can eat meat and honour God in their own faith and conscience. And they can not eat meat and honour God. They can drink alcohol and honour God in their own faith and conscience. And they cannot drink alcohol and honour God. They can go to church on a Sunday and honour God in their own faith and conscience. Or they can go to church on a Friday or a Wednesday or Tuesday, mid-morning, just after some tea and scones. Tuesday church, right? They know the freedom that the gospel brings. And because they have less baggage around these freedoms, they're able to express their faith in all kinds of circumstances. They're they're rocking the life-proof case. But can you see the danger of mixing these two kinds of people together? Because that is what God has called together. It's all of chapter 15, those verses that we read, celebrates that God has brought Jew and Gentile together. Now, in this context, the strong can be drawn into sin as well. Two ways. First, they could sin by judging the weak, mocking the person with no case. They could think they're stupid. They could judge them for being foolish. That's what's happening in Rome. None of which helps maintain righteousness, peace and joy in God's kingdom. And if we give ourselves to this kind of judgment as strong over the weak then we're no better than the corruption of our society which says use your strength to build yourself up, to promote yourself and to put down the weak. Second, they could sin by causing their brother or sister to sin against their conscience. The life-proof case says, come for a swim, the water's fine. 
not knowing that the very person they're inviting will destroy their phone, their faith, if they accept the invitation. Hopefully they're convinced enough not to go for a swim. But if they feel pressured or for a moment think that maybe it doesn't affect their faith, then your invitation has caused their faith to be destroyed in sin. This is a very real danger for the strong and is judged by God as wrong. Have a look at verse 20, chapter 14. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. And this is where we arrive at God's countercultural and beautiful view of the weak and the strong in God's kingdom. Paul's word in these chapters is primarily to the strong. He says to them, love and serve the weak. Love and serve the weak. Build them up. Use your strength and the position that you have to serve. Use the flexibility of your faith to give up freedoms to serve. That is, because the strong know whether the kingdom is not a matter of eating or drinking, this gives them an advantage. And they could use that advantage to live it up and really have a pleasurable time themselves and rub their freedoms in the face of those whose conscience won't let them do it and mock them. But that would not be righteous. It would be wrong. And that would not be peaceful. It would divide. And it would not be loving because it would lead to the destruction of someone else's faith. No. Paul commands the strong to use that advantage, use that strength to serve others. So read from verse 20 again. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Verse 21. It is better, or some translations Good, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. What might that look like today at EV9? Brothers and sisters, if you know that your Christian mate is unsure about drinking alcohol as a Christian, you know they can. The kingdom isn't a matter of eating or drinking. But when you go to the pub with them and some friends, don't drink. Love them. Support them in their weakness. Don't let them be the only one not drinking. Because if they feel alone and unsupported, then that pressure comes on them. They might feel judged. And in that moment, they might give in, order drink, drink. And in doing so, you look at it and go, that's not wrong. But it is because they're sinning against their conscience. They're sinning against God. Love your brothers and sisters. Be ready, be keen, be willing to give up your own freedom, your own comfort, your own pleasure at the pub to love and serve them. Now, what are some other examples like this, right? Things that Christians do that can make other Christians feel uncomfortable and tempt them to join in against what they think is right, against their own conscience. Sisters, if if you know your Christian mate is unsure about wearing a two-piece at the beach as a Christian, but that isn't your conviction, you think you're free to, 
then when you go to the beach with them, wear a onesie. I mean, <laughs> wear a one piece. But a onesie would also work, right? That'd get hot. Um, love them, support them, regardless of who is right or wrong. And perhaps use other times when you're not at the beach to, to talk about this in love, right? What about how much to drink? Two beers is one person's limit, but you're convinced that three beers over two hours is fine. And when you offer to shout them the third round, you pressure them to sin against their conscience. Give up your own freedom and comfort out of love for them. What about what TV shows or movies are okay to watch? You might be fully convinced that Married at First Sight is okay. You can watch it, honouring God, giving thanks to Him in that. But it might make someone else feel uncomfortable. And when you invite the gals around to watch the season finale, you pressure them to sin against their own conscience. So give up that freedom. Give up that comfort out of love for them. Watch only PG movies if it means loving others. What about doing yoga? Someone might have been converted out of the background of New Age, um, religion and worship, and did that in the form of yoga. And you know that New Age spirits are nothing, and that God's the only God around here. And so you invite them to your yoga class, and you unknowingly, knowingly, who knows, you pressure them to sin against God. Give up your own knowledge and your own freedom out of love for them. In every circumstance, it boils down to just, just consider your actions carefully and lovingly for the sake of your brother's and sister's faith. Sacrifice what you consider right for the sake of loving and serving God's people. Sacrifice your own pleasure for the sake of loving and serving God's people. Be willing to give up any and everything that isn't a kingdom issue for the sake of loving and serving God's people. And if in any of these examples you find yourself thinking, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give up this thing to serve others. Now, can I say, I get it. It isn't easy. It's completely countercultural to think and behave this way. To give up my own freedoms for the sake of someone, when they're wrong, it grinds my gears. But consider the implications of that attitude. Have a look at chapter 14, verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating or drinking or movie watching or clothing, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Would you really say, no, I don't love the one for whom Christ died. I would rather live for my own pleasure and see my brothers and sisters fall than to give up this thing. If on reflection you still would, then search your heart very, very carefully because perhaps you're not part of God's kingdom at all. Repent of this opinion, this refusal and come back to God. Ask God that he'd transform your heart and your mind, that you might love those for whom Christ died. And for all of us, Romans 12 verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
in your weakness, don't be like the world around us who would say, pull down the strong. No. Love and serve God in your own way. Don't judge others. And strive for strong faith. Why? So that you can serve others in love more. And in your strength, don't be like the world around us who would say, use your strength to build yourself up. No. Rather, use your strength to build others up in love and service of them. Ask that God would grow your love for others in his kingdom. Love is the better way to live. Sacrifice is the better way to live because this is the way that God has loved all his people and served them. This is the way God has loved you and served you. Chapter 15, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Jesus Christ, having all power, all authority, all strength, total freedom, and also every right to judge the world, humbled himself to serve in love. He lovingly served us in our weakness by giving up his own comfort. He lovingly served us in our weakness by giving up his life to die, to gather us together as a people. How great is that love of God? How glorious is the gospel that he's called us to? And if you don't know God's love and acceptance in this way, throw yourself on God's mercy. Come to him by trusting in Jesus' death for you. He will accept you. Speak to someone here. Come speak to me if you'd like to do that. Brothers and sisters, imitate Christ's love for us. Love God's gathered people in a way that he has demonstrated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the love that you have demonstrated in Christ. All of the power and authority and freedom that he had, yet he gave it all up in love and service of the weak of us. Please transform us by this gospel. Help us to live counterculturally in this way and to love and value your people the way that you've so clearly shown in the gospel. Amen? Amen. Well, we have an opportunity now to celebrate our togetherness in the gospel through communion. Uh, communion's a very small meal uh, that Christians share to express their togetherness in the gospel and to have our souls nourished uh, by remembering Jesus' sacrifice to bring us together. So if you're not a Christian, uh, feel free to sit, uh, watch, listen. And if you're a Christian, join in on this meal. Uh, so the station's here, here, up the back. Um, grab the bread and juice, you know what to do. Um, come back to your seat and wait, and we'll share in that meal together. Meanwhile, these guys are going to play us a song for reflection. Go for it.